Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at um, Genesis chapter 20. And we're going to go ahead and read the scripture today. Again, if you have your Bible with you, please open it up. I encourage you to actually use a hard copy Bible. I was doing a little um, a sharing with us, uh, our families and our church and talking about cell phone usage and things. And there's something to be said to have a hard copy. And science actually uh, proves that it helps you retain uh, what you read better. So I encourage you to you have your Bible with you. Genesis chapter 22. And uh, we're going to read a little bit of it because it's a whole story. So Genesis, the first book in the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 22. Here's what it says. This is what the word of God says about Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then, then Abraham, then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I have the boy will go with you. Okay, we'll go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and a knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So this is a, um, likely a very familiar story to uh, some of you and a story about Abraham and Isaac, Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice as God has called him to do. Uh, we've been talking a lot about what does it mean to go to below the surface, really going to the place where it's invisible, so easy for us to live in a life that just live on the outside, that the 10%, what people can see or what we can see. But we've been talking about how important it is to really go down to 90% because the gospel is is good, not just for what's on the outside, but really God wants to transform us from the inside. I want to share something with you um, that I've learned. It is not really from the scripture, uh, but it's actually from a science, um, a scientific study in Stanford. 
uh, it has to do with this idea of having a mindset, a fixed mindset, and a, a growth mindset. And uh, it, it shows itself up in the scripture as well. But but uh, what this study actually showed was that many people have a fixed mindset. What that means is that they kind of think of um, everything that they have is fixed, who they are. Uh, so you cannot really change anything. Uh, the only thing that you do is kind of adjust it, modify it a little bit. So most people approach life that way, have a fixed mindset. And for a lot of Christians, that's kind of that way too. We we might think that, oh, I already put my faith in Jesus. I have eternal life. And God kind of just dropped this box in our lives and it's fixed. There's nothing that can be changed. We might get a little better. We might kind of uh, shape a little better, become more like Christ. But not much can be changed. So salvation becomes just a gift, just got downloaded into our lives and that's it. But on the other hand, uh, this study also shown us that um, instead of a fixed mindset, what people become when people become successful, oftentimes they have this growth mindset. So that mindset, growth mindset, tells us that people are not being stuck in a box. That in their mind, they truly believe that they can continue to grow, continue. The process is just as impo- important as the product. And so for in a spiritual uh, setting, uh, when we talk about spiritual life, what, what, what a growth mindset is one that is not just thinking that my salvation is only about justification, that Jesus died for me and now I have downloaded this eternal life in my life and that's it. I'm just waiting here till heaven comes. A growth mindset, on the other hand, is having a mindset, having an expectation, having a desire to continue to grow that there is actually no limit for us to grow. And that's a growth mindset. And for many of us as Christians, we tend to get stuck in the fixed mindset without realizing that God actually wants us to continue to grow. In fact, it is out of his love that he wants to grow us. But here's the part that many of us struggle with. In order for us to continue to grow, God sometimes allows us to hit a wall. God sometimes allows us to hit a wall to make us kind of rethink. He he does uh, to recalibrate our hearts so that we can move on to the next steps, next level, next season of growth. And no one likes to hit a wall, but that is the way for us to grow. I want to share with you this little game that uh, I play with my kids for one time. It's called uh, Yoshi's Craft of World. I am not a big gamer, uh, but someone gave this game to my kids, and so we decided to play it. Uh, you've never played it. Don't worry about it. I didn't think it's that fun. But the reason why I share with you about this game is because um, the whole premise of the game is that you will advance to the next level. And so what happened is me and my kids were playing and then we hit this level. There's a literal wall. And your job in the game is to figure out how to go across that wall. And there's only one way for you to go across. And there are many ways that seems like, oh, you can go across. You can jump it. You can go around it. But the game, the whole point of the game is you need to figure out what is that one way to cross the wall so that you can advance to the next level. I share this with you um, because this is actually the first time I picked up this game since the last time we played. Because we were just so discouraged that at the wall that we decided, this is so hard, I don't want to play this game anymore. And I believe for many of us, that is how we approach the wall whenever God allowed a wall to hit our lives. 
Sometimes God allowed the wall to stand there and we can easily be like what I did with this game and say, like, oh, I just give up. I don't want to play this anymore. I don't want to be in this anymore. I just walk away. But without realizing that there is something on the other side of that wall that God out of his love, out of his grace, want to invite us into a deeper communion with Jesus. And so today I want to talk about a little bit about the wall. How can we journey through that? How can we cross that wall? Because we can keep hitting it and keep hitting it. And some of us decided, just like me, just walk away completely. And don't want to get close to that wall again. So first, what is a wall? Let me explain a little bit what's a wall. It's not in the Bible, but we've seen many examples of it. But let me start with what is not a wall. A wall, in the spiritual sense, is not just some inconvenience. Like a wall is something that is often happens in crisis in our lives that make us question, really turn our life upside down. And we just ask these, ask about who is God? How, where, where am I in my relationship with God? There are a lot of confusion during that time. See, a wall is not just uh, that your boss is annoying you. Uh, you have a, you know, your Amazon package did not come on time. Uh, a wall is not just you being grounded by your parents because you didn't listen to them. Um, it's more than just a traffic jam that people cut you off. Like it's just not inconvenience or just a smaller level of trials. Those are trials. Certainly those are trials. But then a wall is something more than that. A wall uh, oftentimes is in the in an example in the scripture is like David having to flee from being hunted down by uh, Saul. Uh, a wall in the scripture would be an example of the 11 disciples uh, seeing their Lord Jesus hung on the cross, put in the tomb and wondering on Saturday what is going to happen when all of their trust and put in this one Jesus Yet he is quote unquote dead and not risen again as the, on that day as far as they can know. You see, a wall is when, when Job losing 10 of his children, losing everything in his life and, and still wondering if I'm going to follow God, if I'm going to curse him like his wife suggested him to do. See, a wall is, is, may come in the shape of a bad breakup for some of us, maybe a loss of a job. It may be losing of a close family member. Maybe a bad diagnosis. It may be a dissolution, a bad experience that you've had at church. And you wonder, like, is church really all that cranked out to be? Is this really the place where God intend God's people to be a part of? The wall may be a shattered dream. A wall might be for some of us a marriage that didn't fulfill, that, that didn't fulfill as we planned it to be. And for those of us who are single, many of you who are single, maybe it's just a deep, deep desire to want to get married, even a healthy desire to want to get married, to have companionship, and yet it never happened. See, a wall hits us. It has more questions than answer. And we don't know where God is at that moment. And we're wondering, we're questioning about our faith. We're questioning about God. We're questioning about his church. And just all these, we're living in the fog. That is what a wall is. And, and as we look at Abraham's life today, this was one of his wall. In fact, that what we see is that in Abraham's life, there are more than one walls that they'll travel through. I mean, if you remember the story of Abraham, very beginning, God promised him that he would have a son. For 25 years, him and his wife, promised by God to have a son, did not have the son that they were 
that God had promised until 25 years later. Remember, Abraham is in the, the name literally means father of many sons. Imagine the questions that they have asking, God, are you serious about that promise? Because everybody else is kind of making fun of me that we don't have any sons. Like, if I can't, I can't have many sons if I don't have one son. At least get me started with that. We see Abraham hit a wall having to work through that. We see Abraham hitting another wall when he was, when he became, become, when he became impatient. He became impatient and started, sorry, instead of uh, waiting for God to provide, he, along with Sarah, have a legitimate son that was not from the Lord, Ishmael. And then later on, because of their disobedience to God, they hit, he hit another wall, having to, because of jealousy started happening, he had to get rid of Ishmael, his own son, his own flesh and blood. Though he was not the promised son of God that was given to him, he had to get rid of him because Sarah was getting jealous of Hagar. So he had another wall losing a relationship with his own flesh and blood. And finally here, we're picking up the story where we're looking at today is where God gave him another wall. God called him and gave him this test. God gave him this test and asked him, are you going to give up your son? Look at the passage with me here at Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to 2. After these things, God tested Abram, Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Perhaps for those of us who are familiar with this story or just now you've never heard of it, you just heard me read the whole thing earlier. I think it is so easy to miss what a great, gigantic wall this is for Abraham. We know at the end God provides. We know at the end that God gave and didn't have to kill Isaac as a sacrifice. We know all of that at the end of the story. But in the beginning, I want you to really feel how absurd this test God is giving, this potential wall that God is putting in front of Abraham. Look at what he says. He said, take your son. He says, take your son, but not any son. Well, he's only one son, but God makes sure Abraham knew that your only son, Isaac, God is saying, bring that. I'll bring him to do what? You're going to offer him as a burnt offering. In the Old Testament, we know burnt offering are not just, just uh, some some a symbol, a symbolic thing that just pretend is off. You literally bring an animal, you chop up, kill that animal, and burn it. And that's what God is calling him to do. Bring that son, your only son, your favorite son, the son that I've given you for, uh, that you waited for 25 long years. The promised son that I've given to you, bring him to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. As if that is, doesn't sound hard enough, God said, go on to one of the mountains. God did not just say, go to this particular mountain at this spot. God said, just go somewhere. There is this vagueness to it. It is almost as if, God needed him to just take one step at a time. God doesn't want to give him the whole map, the whole direction, the whole GPS instruction, where to go. God wanted him to trust God. Now, if you were Abraham, and let's be honest, let me just put myself on the spot. I would think this is absolutely ridiculous. 
as if there's not enough God want me to sacrifice my son. He's not going to give me instruction how to do that. He's not going to tell me where to do that. None of these make sense. And I find it, well, this is not really from the text, but I find it really interesting that I, uh, Abraham actually never consulted uh, Sarah. You can just imagine what a mom would say to, to the dad. Uh, we're going to take, we're going to go offer a sacrifice. And what are you going to offer? Oh, my son, our son, the son that we waited for 20. It sounds so ridiculous. But then do we need to ask the question, why would God call Abraham to do it? And it has to do with the very beginning of that verse. It says this, that God tested Abraham. And I know for some of us, when we look at that word, we feel we have, we, we have started having goosebumps because it reminds you of school getting tested. Or some of us will have this negative uh, understanding of testing as if like, why would God test us? God is so mean. Why would he want to test us, put him in a situation to do that? I think what I, one thing I want to clarify is that testing is not tempting. See, God was not tempting Abraham so that he will sin. But God is testing Abraham. Because a testing reveals something. And for many of us, that's why we have tests in school. It reveals whether we know the material we own, the material or not. And in this case, God wanted to test Abraham. And he's been testing Abraham. But in this particular case, he wanted to test Abraham. Bring him to this wall to service. Is there anything else within him that is blocking him from experiencing God's love in his life? God want to service all that and take it away so that he will not be, uh, so that Abraham would not be hindered by anything or anyone to experience the fullness of God in his life. See, this is why God tests Abraham. See, the purpose of the wall is never for punishment. And for many of us, when we hit the wall, and some of you have gone through the wall, some of you are at the wall, you feel very much like God is punishing you. You definitely feel that way. You know, but the purpose of the wall is never about punishment. The purpose of the wall is really about purifying, about purging things that perhaps have put us in front of God, that takes our eyes off of God, and more important, what keeps us away from experiencing the fullness of God. In John chapter 15, a verse that we've talked quite a bit about in this sermon series, it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Early in the passage, he talks about that God prunes those who are bearing fruit. Again, when we look at the word prune, we wonder why would God prune us? Why would God test us? Why would God give us a wall? The reason is because God, at the, at the end of it all, God's purpose is for us to experience in the fullness of his love. Beyond just thinking God wanted to use you for his mission, beyond just thinking God wanted to just uh, use you for his kingdom, at the bottom of it all, the purpose, the fundamental purpose, primary purpose of God in our lives is so that we can experience the fullness of his love. That's why Jesus said, abide in the love that I have in my father. Abide in that love. You see, Isaac was the one, was the, what has become Abraham's identity. Isaac was the gift of God to Abraham and Sarah. As is so often the case, the very gift and blessing that God has given to us, we start looking at those 
as being our God. They become our identity. You see, God never gave Isaac to Abraham for only Abraham's sake. God gave Isaac to Abraham so that Abraham would experience fully who God is. To experience fully God's love for him. God never just gave Isaac to Abram for Abram. In fact, God gave Isaac to Abram, listen carefully, for God himself. For God himself to be glorified in Abram's life, in Isaac's life, and in this world, so that we can see the glory and the power of Jesus through the lineage of Abraham. But Isaac has become an identity for Abraham. And God want to make sure that he doesn't miss God's love for Abraham by, 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 by this gift. This is the same reason why, uh, in Romans chapter eight, there's so many passages that God reminds us the primary purpose for us is to experience the importance of his love for us. Look at, at Romans eight thirty-five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who Loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gets this. In Romans chapter 8, perhaps the, the climax of, uh, of the book of Romans, he said, guys, God wants to make sure that we know that he loves us. He wants us to experience fully that he loves us. But the problem many times that we're not experiencing is because there are things standing in the way. So for Abraham, it was Isaac. For some of us, it may be a dream school. For some of us, it might be a dream job. For some of us, maybe just having the appearance of having all things together. I'm always together in my life. For some of us, it might be a gift, maybe a talent, maybe an athletic ability, musical ability. For some of us, it might be just a, a, a way of experiencing uh, doing church, a way of our, 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 our discipline and walking with Jesus. There's a certain way that we, it makes us feel like we're in control of that. For some of us, it might be a need for approval. That I want to be, I want to be a funny guy that everyone likes. I want to be a kind person, charitable person, so people will love me. For some of us, it might be our family member. It's not a surprise that Jesus, in a very similar way, challenged his own disciples and said, "Whoever loves your mother, father, brothers, sisters, and even your own life, is not worthy of the kingdom of God." Because those things become uh, blocks us, blinds us from experiencing the love of God in our lives, very much the same way that Abraham is with Isaac. And here's the thing, God loves us so much that he does not want any of those good, even great things to block us from experiencing his love. So what God did with Abraham is he put a wall to service those things to see whether Isaac is really something that is keeping him. And we know the story, obviously, that God, that Abraham has passed this test perfectly. But that would not only, that would not be revealed unless the test wall is there to service that. 
so that Abraham would actually take the, took his son to bring him to the mountain. It was at the, at the last second before he put that knife into his son to realize that his heart is fully open. He is fully surrendered for God to pour out himself to experience God in a way they've never experienced. God wants to take us to a deeper place in our relationship with him. And oftentimes he used that wall. Not one time, maybe several times throughout our lives to challenge us, to reveal to us. Very much the same way he said to Peter, do you love me more than this? Do you, do you want to experience more love from me than just these things can offer to you? God is purifying. God is purging. Perhaps good, great things so that we can have the best thing, God himself. I want to give you an assignment. I want to give you an assignment asking you this question. Would you be willing, would you be able to pray this simple prayer? Father, draw me closer to you no matter what it will cost me. I want you to really think about Are you willing genuinely from the bottom of your heart to say, God, I want to draw closer to, will you draw me closer no matter what it's going to cost me? Because the answer to this question will service everything you need to know about your perception, your image of God, and how you see God. Your perhaps resistant, my, uh, my fear or praying this prayer will show me everything I, I need to know about how I view God. How do I perceive God? How do I look at this God that I, I say I love, I, 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 I worship? So the question I want to ask you is this. Are you willing, genuinely from the bottom of your heart that no matter what it will cost you, will you pray this? Do you want God so much that you're willing to pay whatever price it will, that God takes away everything that you will, very much like joke, so that you can experience the fullness of his love in your life? Second question I want to talk about is this, that we talked about what is a wall, but I also want to talk about what do we do when we're at the wall? Because that's oftentimes the most difficult thing. When things don't make sense, what should we do? I want to share with us briefly four things. First one is this, identify what keeps you from the love of God. Identify, do the hard work in searching your heart, opening up your heart before God. And ask God to show you what is keeping you really from experiencing him fully. I believe in this story, we see Abraham very clearly. He knows what is at stake. He knows his son is at stake. He knows that the son potentially could be keeping him. I love how Abraham learned his lesson from his previous walls. Because even in verse 1, it says, Abraham... And and when God called him Abraham, he said, here I am. He wasn't bitter. He didn't fight against God. He didn't even ask why. But he simply come and accept and, 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 and lean into what God wants to do, even with vague, unspecific instruction to go to one of the mountains. I think Psalm 51 helps us a lot in this area. When David sinned against God, When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, 
in true repentance, he opened his heart and, and, and named the very thing that keep him from experiencing the fullness of God. He has a desire for something else instead of God. That's why he committed adultery. Yes, his eye was caught to Bathsheba. Yes, he, he, his heart was, he was, um, tempted by lust, but more than that, he was not satisfied by God alone. So he acted upon it out of, in, in adultery. But notice how he was real with God. He did the hard work of identifying before God. Look at what it says, Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He called it what it is. He said, this is sin that I've got this transgression. This is what keeps me from you. And so that you may be justifying your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth. And in the inward being, you teach the wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He calls God to purge him. But before he asked God to purge him, he named the sin that he has done against God. He owned it. He did not try to be, uh, or explain away. He comes before God clean and say, God, this is what, in fact, he knew so much of his sin that he said, I was born with sin. And so first step when we're at the wall is we need to come before God and say, God, there are things in my life that keep me from me. And perhaps that's the reason why you allow this wall to happen. So that I run into it so that I know what it is that you are calling me. To surrender to you, which leads to our second one. That not only do we have awareness, identify, name the things that's keeping us from God, we need to ask God to forgive us and receive that forgiveness. To receive that forgiveness. This is perhaps my prayer for us throughout this series is when we go deep underneath the 90%, as God is working in your heart and my heart, the enemy saying is working just as hard. Because Paul tells us this. That for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, God wants to produce a grief that causes us to repent and receive forgiveness. He wants to free us. But the enemy wants to make us feel bad, not to free us, but to make us die. He wants to make us feel the regret and let that be a prison of our soul. You see, the whole point of getting the 90% at the wall is that God doesn't want to just bury us, imprison us. God wants to liberate and free us. And that's why he's giving us the wall so that we will come into repentance, so that we will experience salvation without regret because we trust in the promise of Jesus that when we ask for forgiveness, He will for, when we repent, he's faithful and just will forgive us all our unrighteousness. And so when we're at the wall, when we're clean before the Lord and say, God, this perhaps is the idol of my life. That's why you're trying to get rid of it in my life. Lord, forgive me and forgive what I've done. My heart is not in the right place. And so, God, I want to receive your forgiveness as well. Instead of letting guilt and shame barricade us, drive us even further away from God. So at the wall, we need to pour ourselves honestly before the Lord and we need to receive and that takes time and that takes intentionality that takes the quiet moment of our lives that takes the body of believers coming alongside with us speaking those reality into our lives as we ask for forgiveness as we confess and repent which also lead us to the third thing is when you're at the wall 
realize that you won't be a finished product here on earth. Very much like Abraham, one after another, there will be more walls because the, again, this is not for the sake of punishing us, but it is for the sake of restoring us. These walls are tests that surface the things that keep us from having God's love for our lives. It is a loving gift. And at the moment, it may not feel like, but it is gift from God to read and to take out these really deep-rooted weeds in our lives and, and cut them off. And it will be a lifelong process that God lovingly do with us. I like how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love, famous love chapter. At the end of that chapter, he reminds us that we only know in part and we prophesy in part. And when the perfect comes and the key word there is when, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. You see, we're all in process. And here's the beauty of the gospel is God so lovingly and gently to lead us. God does not just hurry us to get to where he wants to. God is so kind. God is so gracious. And he get, help us even in the example later. He take one step at a time. He never bring us to the wall that is, that, 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 that he is not enable us to, and uh, to engage, to, 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 to overcome. He take Abraham one step at a time, one wall at a time. He might be different in different life stations, different seasons, but he come alongside with that, which leads us to the very last one is this, that at the end of it all, we need to trust God in his provision. When we're at the wall, when we're living in the fog, we need to stay the course by trusting in who God says he is. We need to trust in the word of God and say, God, it doesn't make sense. I want to give up. But God, I want to trust in you. Very much like Abraham when he held up that knife. When he was bounding Isaac on the, t- on the altar about to, to sacrifice him. To, to cut him and offer sacrifice to God as he was told. It makes no sense. Zero human sense. Yet all the while, he trusted He trusted in God. At the end of the story, in verse 14, 13, it says this, Abraham lifted up his eyes. The moment, right when he was about to put that sharp knife on, it says he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horn. We see here Abraham was so focused in following God, trusting. He didn't even hear somehow magically, supernaturally, God provided a ram that he didn't even hear. But at that very moment, God draw his attention. He saw that. And then Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. And in Hebrew is Yahweh Jerah. As is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham trusted 
that God would provide. Abraham did not know how God would provide. Abraham did not even bother to ask God how he's going to provide and show me how he's going to provide. Abraham just trusted that God will provide. And if any of us need a sign that God will provide for us in the moment of the wall, all we need to look back is at the cross. God provided his son. Perhaps in the biggest wall there is. The sin, the barrier of our own sin keeps us away from God. God says, I want you to experience the deepest of my love. So guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to provide for you. See, this story is an image of, uh, of foretelling what Jesus will be for us, how God will provide the ultimate sacrifice. And so while it doesn't make sense at the moment, it doesn't make sense at all what Abraham was going through, what you're going through. We look at the cross and say, it doesn't have to make sense because God did something that doesn't make sense. God did something out of his love for us that it makes no sense, no justice. He loves us so much. He sacrificed his own son so that we have an opportunity to receive his love. You see, when we're at the wall, God is not trying to harm us. God is trying to love us. God is not trying to punish us. You might be in there for 10, 30, 40. And for Paul, he was there for the rest of his life, having a thorn on his side. Yet God, he continued to prune and purge him and he continued to trust God. And on the other side of that, they experience the joy and the love that God intend for them to experience. I want to give us a couple minutes in our groups to start again. I want to, I want to remind us the reason why we're doing this is because we want to get us started. I know it's so easy to listen to a sermon, listen to your teaching and just, oh, it feels all right. It feels good. Took notes and never give some thought to wrestle with. Give space for the spirit of God to work in your life. So I want to encourage you uh, to go into our, your group right now and then I'm going to break us off. Just give us maybe about uh, 10 minutes in your group to start di- dialoguing, start thinking, start helping each other to answer this question. If you don't get a final answer, don't worry about it. You have the rest of the week continue to wrestle with it. And the question I want to ask you to share and to wrestle with together is this. What keeps you from sh- from praying? Father, draw me closer to you, no matter what it will cost me. And then if you want to follow questions, what does this respond tell you about? Your image, your understanding, your knowledge of God. So I'm going to give us 10 minutes to do that. And then we'll get back together to close our time together. So as we wrap up this serve uh, today, uh, I want to share with you a story. And we're going to actually have a response song as well. Um, so that you can really process what God's teaching you uh, today and what God's speaking to you. Um, there's a really well-known story uh, in the Chinese, uh, kind of Chinese fable uh, there is this old man that lived out in the uh, frontier of China. He has a son who owned a horse. And uh, one day his son's horse, for some mysterious reason, uh, ran away. And so the community and his neighbors, the tribes, kind of come and comfort him and say, oh, oh, this is so sad. And and then so they're trying to comfort him. And then the father of that boy, um, kind of, oh, he's really wise. And he said, what makes you so sure that this is not a blessing? Then later on, over a period of time, that horse miraculously returned. 
And along within, uh, with her, uh, she, there's a stallion that came with her back to the same, to the boy. And so the, 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 the tribes and the, the, the friends there and the neighbors was ecstatic. They, they were cheering and they were, they were kind of, con- uh, really happy for the family and congratulate them. And then the, this time the father says this, what makes you so sure that this isn't a disaster? So as we wrap up this serve, uh, today, uh, I want to share with you a story and now we're going to actually have a response song as well. Um, so that you can really process what God's teaching you. Uh, today and what God's speaking to you. Um, there's a really well-known story, uh, in the Chinese, uh, kind of Chinese fable. Uh, there's this old man that lived out in the uh, frontier of China. He has a son who owned a horse. And, uh, one day his son's horse for some mysterious reason, uh, ran away. And so the community and his neighbors, the tribes kind of come and comfort him and say, Oh, Oh, this is so sad. And, and then, so they're trying to comfort him. And then the father of that boy, um, kind of, oh, he's really wise. And he said, what makes you so sure that this is not a blessing? Then later on, over a period of time, that horse miraculously returned. And along within, uh, with her, uh, she, there's a stallion that came with her back to the same, to the boy. And so the, 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 the tribes and the, the, the friends there and the neighbors was ecstatic. They, they were cheering and they were, they were kind of, uh, really happy for the family and congratulate them. And then the, this time the father says this, what makes you so sure that this isn't a disaster? And then later on, a few years later, the household was made richer because of the stallion and the, the, the son loved riding this, this, this stallion. And eventually what happened was one day he fell and broke his legs and broke his hip. And once again, the neighbor comes along and say, Oh, I was so sorry that it happened to your son. Uh, this is so sad. And then the father this time said, what make you so sure that this is not a blessing? And then a few years later, there are these, other nomads in the in, in the border came and invade and fight against these people who are living in the frontier. And because of the son wounded as broken hip and broken leg, he could not go fight and the father stayed behind. The war was so, the battle was so fierce. Nine out of 10 people, nine out of 10 men ended up dying. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this boy and the father was spared was because he was hurt and stayed at home and took care of him. I share this because many times what seems to be a blessing may not actually be a blessing. What seems to be a, a, a disaster, our God can redeem it and use it for good. And so we need to have a perspective of God and we need to trust in him. We're going to end our worship service with this one last song. It is called, It Is Well. It is a new rendition of an old song. Uh, but I want to ask you, as we end our service together, as we sing this together, um, encourage you to respond to God. You know, I don't want us to walk away. And so easy, many times on Sunday, we'll walk away and say, oh, I worship God. But worship really is a response. So as you sing this song, I want you to get a piece of paper or on your phone to really ask this question. And answer or finish this sentence. What will you do this week? You might not have a wall right now. Maybe you're not going through a wall. Maybe you are. Whatever it is, how can you, what is God calling you to do? Be obedient this week.
and finish that statement, I will do what? What will you do this week? Maybe you need to know God better. Read his word this week. So you are steep into his truth. Maybe you need to trust in him. You're at the wall. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to be forgiven and let go of the sh- of the guilt and the shame that you're still carrying. Whatever it is, respond to God. So let's sing together and worship together.